when we set a little bit smaller goals for ourselves, but something that we can do, do in a, even on a, on a bad day, what that means is that we set the minimum viable dose. We can always do more, but at least we've done something. And I think that makes for a huge difference than if we set like really high goals and that we rarely achieve. The lesson to ourselves is that I suck. Like I can never reach my goals. But if we put smaller goals that we actually find time to overachieve, do more. Like we, we do cold calling for five minutes, 10 minutes. But actually after having got started, we're like, hey, I'm going to do 20 minutes more. Then we feel amazing. It's okay to keep it small, keep it simple, and then build on that as we go. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with behavioral science expert, Samuel Salzer. You're gonna learn today about habit formation and how to transform your life from thoughtful to thoughtless. We're going to transform your life from a position of, instead of it being overwhelming and feeling like we have to climb seven mountains in one day, to, you know what, I climb mountains and I create tremendous results in my real estate business and it's effortless. And it starts with thoughts, it starts with intentions, it starts with clarity, and you're gonna gain that clarity today. You're going to understand what is most important to you and how to choose the inventory of habits that you'd like to transform and the reasons for transforming those habits, beginning with the end in mind. There's so much value in today's episode. I just want to encourage you to buckle up because today's podcast is phenomenal. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. I want to encourage you to pay the fee. Thank you so much for listening. By the way, the fee is to pay it forward. All you have to do is share this episode with one person, grab the link, send it in a text message, email, social media, whatever you need to do, share this message because this is a game changer. Today's episode will change your results if you really listen, if you really apply, and if you create new behaviors as a result because that's what it's all, all about. This is a long game. Real estate investing is a long game and it comes down to installing long-term behaviors. And that's what this episode is all about. There is pure science behind it. And Samuel is gracious enough to share that with us today. I also want to encourage you to give us a rating and review and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast on wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. Um, if you haven't done that already, it is so helpful and so appreciated from myself and from our team because we are putting in a great deal of work to bring this value to you. So if you are enjoying Elevate Podcast, please give us a rating, review, and subscribe or follow. And if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like or subscribe button to show us some love. Because at the end of the day, we certainly appreciate that. We want to hear from you. And without further ado, I want to introduce you to Samuel Salzer, who is a leading behavioral strategist specializing in helping value-driven organizations apply behavioral science to build user-centered and habit-forming digital products and services. He is currently Senior Advisor of Behavioral Science at Molokoff 
Humanus, and Kilo Health, as well as the founder of Habit Weekly, the largest online community for people interested in behavioral design. Of course, we'll put links in the show notes as to where you can find Samuel. And I hope that you truly find tremendous value and transformation in today's episode. So without further ado, please welcome Samuel Salzer. Samuel Salzer, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you doing? I'm good. Calling from Ikea country. It's uh, very cold here, but uh, happy to be with you. Yeah, very happy to have you. I'm very excited about our conversation today and appreciate you toughing out the snowstorm. You're in the middle of a move as well. So I know that you've got a lot going on. So I just want to just go ahead and set that intention of gratitude and thankfulness for you spending time with us today, because I know you're going to bring a tremendous amount of value and wisdom to this episode. And so while we dive into this episode, I always like to give our listeners a bit of context in terms of who exactly are we talking to? Of course, you know, bios are fun and and we, we can sort of share that information. We always do. But talk a little bit about your upbringing, your backstory. Who is Samuel Salzer? Yeah, that's always a big uh, question. I uh, contain multitudes, as we all do. Started my life in Sweden. It's my home country and uh, grew up mostly with some older siblings, but mostly with my mom in a small apartment in middle of middle of Sweden in a place called Westeros, which is only known from Game of Thrones, but probably no one has actually been in the, the real place. And uh, yeah, I actually started more being interested in business and economics and got a scholarship to study economics at the Australian School of Business in Sydney. And so I left everything I knew and uh, jumped on a plane to Australia when I was about 18, 19. I uh, probably had seen Crocodile Dundee, but that was about it. I didn't really know what to expect. When there, I got exposed to not only economics, but also behavioral economics. And that kind of defined my career in many ways. So from that discovery, I really have dedicated my life to understand what makes us do what we do and how can we start changing that? How can we make significant changes into our lives? And I would say, obviously, habits is a big part of that. I've been focused a lot on habits. But in general, just thinking about that idea that we often have a lot of good intentions, but intentions is not the same as action. And so how do we get someone to get from intention to action? and from action to habit. So, so my motto has been to try to make the world better, one good habit at a time. Yeah, these days I work a lot with variety of organizations, usually with kind of big multi-million kind of user groups, but I also work with, you know, I have a course platform on habit coaching for, you know, bringing behavioral science into habit coaching. And, and so there, there's a lot of things I do, but uh, maybe that's the first, first preview. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. And, you know, it's it's really interesting that we're talking, you know, the in the very beginning of 2023, because you just mentioned it, you know, intentions are not the same as action. And a lot of people set their intention for what they see the new year to be, or they say, well, here are my New Year's resolutions, or here are my goals for 2023. And more often than not, you know, a few weeks into the new year, or maybe even a month or two into the new year, you look back and say, wow, you know, I, I really, uh, I had a tall task ahead of me. And you know what, I, I don't really want that anymore. And you know, that intention was what it was, but my reality is now what it is. And most people fall off that wagon. And so I think it's really interesting that we're talking at this time of the year. But I actually wanted to kind of dig back into your 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 history there. As you went to Sydney, Australia, you started to, you know, at university, you were studying economics, and then you somehow stumbled into behavioral economics. I mean, what was actually the catalyst there? I'm curious. So this is literally the case in that I had a professor uh, who 
started to, to kind of smuggle me books on paper economics because it was kind of not something that was much on the scene at the time. And so I was very fortunate to have that professor who was like, hey, no one is talking about this, but this is going to be the big next thing. You should really look into this. And uh, for me, I think the catalyst was this, this feeling of, obviously I wear glasses, right? But it was this feeling that I was starting to see the world with, with each of these books that I was reading. I was starting to see the world with a new layer of color or nuance, let's just say. And so it's kind of like this perspective change of feeling like I've seen the world in 2D or whatever, or in black and white. And then through this understanding of how we make decisions, you know, how, what actually means with motivation, what it actually means in practice and more nuance, what actually comes from going from intention to habit, that really profoundly changed the way I saw my own life initially, which was a big thing how I saw the life of the people around me that I care about, because I care a lot about the people in my life. So I want to help them. And then, you know, in the final stage, like the people that I could help through interventions like apps or various things, how I can scale this. So I think that, that was the kind of profound shift of being like seeing things in my own life initially, like interesting. Like I, I never saw that before. That was like staring right at me, but I couldn't see it. But now I had the glasses to kind of notice it. And so I think that that was really the big shift. It is such a valuable thing to understand what makes us do what we do, not only personally, but also as a business owner, as an investor, to understand and anticipate future behavior and perhaps maybe even be able to shape that can be a very, very valuable skill. Like you, I mean, I am endlessly fascinated with it. I mean, I actually originally got into business marketing and I didn't really realize why, but the reason why was because I was fascinated with human behavior and consumer behavior um, and patterns and perceptions of brands and, you know, the psychology of colors, the psychology of fonts, the psychology of copyright, and you know, the feeling that we get when we interact with a brand, but that leads to behavior that leads to habits. So I'd love to really kind of dive in and really talk about the science behind behaviors and habits. Could you talk a little bit about that and, and maybe share some insights there? Yeah, so I guess there's some things that should be really kind of established at first. We, we can start with a formula that came about as like the basic formula for behavioral science, which is that person plus situation equals behavior. So in simple terms, it means that everyone is different and every situation is different. So we have to approach things from a contextual lens, which means that the bad news is that if you read a book by Elon Musk, that's probably worthless in some ways. Like not per se that some lessons can be gathered, but if you follow exactly his path, doesn't mean that you get to the same destination, right? I think people know that intellectually, but maybe struggle to find ways to actually apply that in practice. And so I think as part of a successful applied behavioral science approach, you would always go from that approach. You will start by understanding what is the behavior that I'm trying to change and becoming very specific. We can get into some more details on how we can do that. Then try to understand what are the barriers and potential drivers of this behavior. And then only come up with solutions once we've understand kind of the problem. And so what that allows us to do is to not just copy a solution from Elon Musk or someone else, but actually understand that it's based on what we have uncovered of our situation and our motivations and our barriers, and then solve for those, not solve for some abstract Thing. And, and you mentioned resolutions, you know, it's very tempting to just take off the shelf resolutions. You see someone share that they're going to read a lot this year. Great. I'll, I'll do the same, you know, but why, you know, what is the end behavior you're trying to build there to what degree are you actually optimizing your reading habit based on you 
and your situation and how much are you doing just based on whatever someone wrote in a blog post about themselves. So that should hopefully lay the scene here in that when we're doing these things, we need to always think about what is the behavior we're trying to change? What are the barriers and drivers of that behavior? In other terms, like if it's a good habit, what could potentially drive me to build this good habit? What is currently preventing me from doing this good habit? If it's a bad habit, vice versa, you know, what are the things that are stopping me from getting rid of this? And what could potentially drive me to actually quit this? And then coming up with some solutions that are based on those identified kind of problems. And that's, that's where we get to a lot, lot of, call it, exciting and effective interventions because they're actually personalized. And I think that is the step where I always want to go. <laughs> I don't really care about like just giving a generic thing like just, just do this because you work for one person, they will say, oh, this is amazing. You should also do this. But 10 people will say, I failed. It must be because of me. I must be a failure. And I think that's something we really want to get away from. We, don't want, to, we, we want to get away from this off-the-shelf solutions and find ways to get people to kind of empower themselves through, through this process. So Samuel, it almost seems like what you're suggesting is that beginning with the end in mind or having a, a higher sort of viewpoint of this entire you know, set of behaviors is really what you want to do to go where you want to go. It's not just saying, okay, well, I want to read more. It's all right, well, who am I? In what situation am I in? What behavior am I looking to sort of form? And, you know, understand, well, what, what sort of behavior am I looking to change? And then what's preventing me from, you know, changing this habit or these set of habits? Is that, am I saying this correctly, Samuel? 100%. And I think a good book recommendation is Start at the End by Matt Waller, a friend of mine who, who um, based in New York, or maybe San Diego these days. Anyway, he wrote this fantastic book, kind of covers some of these things. And it's, it's that's basic idea is you, you want to, you know, really understand specifically the behavior you're trying to change. Because if, if that's unclear, it's this basic idea of something I saw recently of the, if you go on a transatlantic flight and if you're one degree off, well, you get 60 miles off. So, so kind of setting the direction is really, really important. And, and kind of the illustrative example I would usually use is the idea that most people, what they do is they say, let's say they want to read more. Their resolution is, I want to bring more reading into my life. Or like, I want to build a reading habit. But they never go to the point of like actually specifying what that means. They don't specify, you know, how much they want to read, where they want to read, when they want to read, uh, what type of books they want to read. All these things that start to build more of a clear context of, okay, if I want to read for 20 minutes a day on my commute to work, for example, in the morning, you could then find a solution for that that optimizes for that. You, know, you, you probably don't want to find a solution before you really specify like what is actually the thing I'm trying to do here. So yeah, start at the end is a good mental model for this. One thing I'd like to dive into is, you know, because of the fact that our lives are largely shaped by our habits, you know, a lot of times we, we think, well, you know what, I'm going to accomplish this big goal and then all of these things are going to happen. But it's really the little steps and the daily actions that lead to, you know, massive transformation and massive elevation really at the end of the day. I mean, at the end of the day, our listeners are looking to expand their lifestyle through this vehicle of real estate. But I think they've recognized that it comes down to how they're showing up day to day, but also recognizing that we've got 
you know, thousands of different activities that we're engaged in, but we also have so many micro decisions that are shaped by habits on a daily basis. It can almost be overwhelming to begin at the end and say, well, wait a minute, this is where I want to go because there's so many different choices. I mean, where would you suggest folks start if they are looking to start to make some transformations and start to make some shifts? Is it to just, you know, look across the, the list of, you know, health and fitness and, you know, mindset or, you know, other sort of habits from a nutrition standpoint or from a behavioral standpoint between your relationships? I mean, is it prioritizing or what would you suggest in terms of starting to climb this mountain of transformation? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think we can cover some maybe common mistakes here as well. One common mistake is that when people start the new year, they start not only with one habit they want to build, but like a list of 15. They'll be like, this is going to going to be the year where I read more, I access better, I do X, Y, and Z, right? And, you know, there's no, in some ways, super easy way to start to reduce signal or sorry, increase signal in the noise other than becoming more self-aware. And that is not easy. Like building self-awareness in terms of self-knowledge takes time. And what I would, you know, include in self-knowledge is things like your values, like what are things that are important to you? Prioritize those based on kind of where you are in your life right now, but also a little bit more expanding on, you know, what actually are my general preferences for doing things? What works for me? What doesn't work for me? So in my companies, whenever I hire someone, I ask them to fill in what's called a user manual. So literally what that means is that they have to fill in how they work as a person, like their user manual for kind of as a team member. So if someone wants to understand like, you know, when are the times they work the best? How can they communicate with that person the best? Um, what are known bugs about this person? <laughs> like people have to fill this in by themselves. That's a really valuable thing to start in the context of working, seeing, okay, what is my self-knowledge here? Like when actually do I do my best work? In what context? In what time? How do I actually prefer to be communicated to? Is it via Slack? Is it via voice message? Is it via email? And so on. And so that journey of, of developing our self-knowledge is not something that goes from you know zero to one in a day. Um, but it takes time. But I think a very valuable exercise is just, you know, that ties into a lot of things you do in cognitive behavioral therapy as well. Like really understanding like, what are my values? What, what are the things that are kind of like core to me? And then from a behavior standpoint, habit standpoint, the best thing you can do is starting simple. <laughs> you know, you probably heard this before, but it's something I would say that by far the most successful thing to do is to start small and then build momentum and then build on that momentum. So you start with saying that, okay, for example, for me this year, as you mentioned, I'm moving. And part of this transition, I really want to kind of make this as a fresh start, which is a behavioral science concept where in a new year or in a new place, we can kind of get a sense that we actually have a little bit of a space to restart. And so in this fresh start for me, health and eating is going to be the main thing that I'm going to focus on. Because I felt like last year, I kind of had still some bad eating habits from 2020, as maybe many people did. And I feel like that was a little bit tied to my day-to-day yeah, -day life. And now when I'm moving, I'm going to really take advantage of this opportunity because it means that when I'm moving to a new place, a lot of the triggers or cues that existed in my old place are not there anymore. So I can be a little more thoughtful of like, okay, how can I architect this new place in supporting me to have a clean diet? And that's the only thing I'm going to focus on for January, especially just setting up those good habits within eating, especially a good breakfast and a good dinner. And I'm going to be happy if that's what I'm succeeding with, then I'm going to be so happy. And then I can build on that in February to maybe add some tweaks to my sleep, to whatever other things I want to do. But for me, that's kind of where I start, for example. I love that. 
And if you don't mind, I'd love to stay on this example because I think it's very instructive. And I'd love to also kind of dig down into really the science behind habits that I know that you're extremely aware of. And you're actually you're using yourself as sort of a, a test case here, obviously, to, to implement, you know, this science. And so when you think about the theme of this year and going back to, by the way, your comments on self-awareness and understanding that your values hierarchy, I think, is a critical task and a critical part of the process to go through to understand what's most important to you. So I really do appreciate you sharing that. And now when you think about, okay, well, once I've done that and I've decided to start simply and start small and build momentum with your example of health being your focus for 2023, and you started with maybe the part of nutrition, right? In, in breakfast and in dinner, and then perhaps along the lines of sleep, maybe in a, in a month or two, talk to me a little bit about that process. I mean, how do you expect that playing out? And then also, how long does it really take to build a habit? Because I think there's been a lot of debate between the amount of days and, you know, all, all of those kind of factors. So talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Can I ask you to make a prediction? How many days do you think? What's your prediction? My guess is I'm going to say two months, 60 days. What do you think? So you're actually pretty close to the, the science, you know, in terms of what we, what we generally would say. So there's a lot of numbers thrown around. Most of them are wrong. Uh, I would say... The closest we have is some research done, which say that on average about 66 days. But that was, I would say, not the best, best study. It wasn't the highest number of participants. It was kind of a mix of habits that maybe makes it hard to really know for sure. But I would say it, it tells part of the picture. If it's 66 days, it's not 21 days. So it, it takes a little bit more than just three weeks. If we're talking about the science of habits, I want to maybe underline a few important components. So one is probably something that people heard a lot about. It's the trigger uh, or the cue or the prompt, <laughs> a lot of words for it. Um, people are, are probably blind to how much the environment impacts their behaviors. So our environments are in many ways are like the choice architecture we talk about in behavioral science, like we're building our homes, but the homes build us in turn because depending on our, how our homes or our living spaces or our workspaces are designed, they will design us. We can't really do much about it. We can, we can swim upstream, but if there's an elevator, we're probably going to take it. Uh, it's going to you know, influence the, the amount of steps we take in case of the stairs and so on. That's a huge thing. But even more so probably is understanding that we have a lot of internal triggers as well. And maybe for your audience, something to be a little bit curious about, I can talk about this more, but it, it's, it's really these internal triggers because it can be kind of intuitive to say that, okay, externally, I'm going to remove the sugar stuff. I'm going to put the healthy stuff out on front. I'm going to, you know, turn off my notification on my phone. I'm going to like do all of that stuff. That's kind of intuitive. What's probably harder if you wanted to excel as being very productive is to understand that what's stopping you from being productive is actually... Obviously, external stuff, but oftentimes the internal stuff, your internal emotions and how your internal emotions are connected to habits that you have. And so when we think about someone who is not, not very productive and procrastinates a lot, that person has a lot of habits where it comes from having a sense of discomfort internally, feeling bored, feeling overwhelmed, feeling stressed to a habit. And so instead of being productive, they go from starting to experience a sense of overwhelm, boredom, uh, stress, and then going to escapism or snacking or X, Y, and Z. So those internal ones are really, really important to be aware of and be curious about and just be aware of. We can talk more about this stuff, but that's internal and external triggers. Then we have, you know, 
doing the, the behavior. And there, repetitions is the name of the game. So what separates behavior from a habit is automaticity, meaning that a habit you do without much conscious thought, it happens automatically. A behavior generally could be something you also do very thoughtfully and very purposefully. And so the journey from going from very thoughtful to thoughtless, in a sense, takes a lot of repetitions. And with each repetition, effectively, if you want to build a habit, you're trying to teach your brain not to think. So I'll repeat that because it's a really, really important concept here. Is that the goal should always be when we're repeating a behavior to make it so that it's very, very clear to our brain when, where, and what we're doing. So that, you know, for example, when I go into a car, I automatically reach for a seatbelt, right? But when I sit down on, on this chair that I'm sitting now, I never reached for a seatbelt. So, so context matters a lot, right? And that's very true here when we're trying to train ourselves. So what, what I did as a mistake a couple of years ago with Duolingo was that I uh, pretty much forgot this. And I just wanted to learn Spanish. And I actually had a streak of like 200 days. But in Duolingo, you have these streak freezes, which pretty much saves you when you miss a day. And after 200 days, I looked back on the week past and I saw that three of the seven days were freezes. And I was like, you know, we talked about 66 days or 60 days. Like it's gone like 200 days. Like how am I needing to rely on a streak freeze? This should be habit by this point. And what I realized is that I didn't keep the context fixed. So when I repeated my language learning habits, I sometimes did it in the morning, sometimes evening, sometimes on the way to work, sometimes while eating breakfast, sometimes while, you know, watching or, you know, going on the bus or something like that. And going back to what I said before, I never helped my brain not to think. So I always kept my brain on the toes of being like, okay, when is the right time to learn language? Is it now? Is it now? Is it now? But if I only had repeated it always at breakfast, at some point your brain would be like, okay, I get this. Like I... I'm starting to read the room, like I'm reading the signals that breakfast is where we're learning language. So I'm not going to even bring this up. I'm just going to like almost trigger this automatically for you. So you're just going to be like finding yourself on your phone, going through the Duolingo lesson and being like, how did I get here? You know, how did this happen? Uh, but we only get there once we teach our brain not to think. Sorry, I've been ranting a little bit, but again, this is my passion. I'll give you some chances to, to give some questions. But the last thing I say as a concept is that when we then go to the final part of what happens after the behavior, we want it obviously to be rewarding. We want it to be something that's rewarding, but often that's something that's sometimes misunderstood. So it's rewarding in the sense that it's net positive, but it could also mean that you're doing this behavior to remove pain, not only to give you some pleasure or something. Like and so a lot of people, what they feel like they need to do is to, to get a habit to stick. They got to like, you know, read the book and then eat a chocolate, like some form of like, positive pleasure reward. But that's not always the case. Like a lot of, I would say the most ingrained habits we do has nothing oftentimes to do with directly like adding positive, but oftentimes with removing pain, removing discomfort, like coffee. Like sure, we're drinking coffee because it tastes good. But why do most people drink coffee probably in the morning? Because they feel tired and they know that it's going to remove that tiredness and grogginess. So to repeat, triggers sets the habit up or the behavior in general, but also habits. Internal triggers are oftentimes overlooked. When we're doing the behavior, we need to think about it as like repetitions. And repetitions only happens effectively to form a habit if they're done in the same time, same place, same context kind of thing. Lastly, we will only want to repeat something if it in the, in the end up gives some from a net positive thing, either remove some pain or add some, some positive things. And there, actually, we have a lot of freedom to find ways to do that. But that's kind of the basic layout of the lab. And uh, oftentimes what we can do is focus a little bit too much 
on maybe, uh, I would say, focus on the outcome and less about just tweaking some of these things initially. So less about did we lose weight, they will get quicker, they will get more productive, but more like, how am I doing with these components? Like, am I triggered? Am I repeating the right thing? Do I feel rewarded? I love that, man. That is a masterclass in habits. And so I just want to encourage the listeners to go back and re-listen to that entire section because there's so much gold there and you went really deep pretty quickly, but also you shared a lot of nuggets of wisdom. I did actually want to dive back into the internal emotions in particular, because I think that that is a, that's one piece that's not talked about enough. And I think it almost feels like that's that is like the underlying mechanism here that drives our behavior is how we're actually feeling. And you were talking about self-awareness earlier. Let's dive back into this because I feel like this is a self-awareness piece that perhaps is a blind spot for many of our listeners. So when you think about internal emotions and they're obviously being connected to our habits, the goal I would think, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, is to understand those internal emotions and understand, well, what is it that I'm craving or what is it that my internal emotions are telling me to do to get to a certain reward. Is that fair to say? Yeah, so I would say a big unlock is in general just noticing these things. Like just noticing that there's something that happens between your, let's say you have someone who wants to be productive, who's like, who's, you know, really motivated this year and they want to build their, in this case, maybe plan for for some investing or, or something like this. So they're really like, okay, I'm going to smash this year. I'm going to set up my plan. But 30 minutes into their plan, they find themselves on YouTube, right? There was something that happened between them having that kind of early intention to get started and getting into that task to them leaving that task, abandoning it for YouTube. There was probably something there. And so that's really valuable to notice. And it's really valuable to have two set of strategies for this. One is to have proactive strategies so understanding some of these things. So let's say maybe we often feel overwhelmed at the start of a new process of doing something like a plan. If we know that about ourselves, we can maybe use things like either like now we have ChatGPT, we can just like have that as part of our process. Like, okay, let's ChatGPT generate the bullet points for my plan. So I don't have to start with this, you know, white paper and, and feeling overwhelmed. So that's kind of like knowing that you can be a little bit proactive with some of these things so that if you know that you often feel a certain emotion attached to a certain situation, you can actually proactively engage with it. Secondly, is that really should have some reactive strategies. So in this scenario, a reactive strategy can often be something like the 10 minute rule. So a version of that is pretty much to say that, okay, I can feel like I struggle here and I want to go to jump on YouTube and see what's going on. But I'm just going to just for 10 minutes, get started. And it can be shitty. It can be terrible, but I'm just going to do this. So that is kind of like, in a way, also managing. So if you can find ways to proactively reduce the chances of you feeling these negative emotions that you might feel sometimes, great. If you struggle, obviously removing all of them, that's what it means to be a human being. So then having some reactive strategies like that to be finding ways for you to kind of snap back and seeing, okay, how can I at least move the needle a little bit? How can I build some momentum, some traction here? That can be really powerful. I love that. And it goes back to starting small. You know, it's like I almost look at I think of like a, running a race. It's like you got hurdles, right? You got hurdles you got to jump over. And, you know, the if you're in the Olympics, these are very tall hurdles and this is tough to get over. But, you know, you're not going to start at the Olympics. You're going to start at, you know, like, let's take a step over a power cord. You know, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I could do it. I did it. And there's this little thing that's like you you register a win. And then when you stack up these wins over time, you start to gain more confidence and you start to say, you know what? Well, wait a minute. Maybe that emotion that 
I was feeling that was uncomfortable or maybe wanted me to go to YouTube instead of doing what I set out to do is actually just, you know, sort of my my inner lower self saying, you know what, don't engage in that task because it's not worth it. It's not worth this change. Change is scary. You know, change can be scary. It can be um, something that, you know, it feels like we're going uphill. I mean, does that resonate with you or does that make sense, Samuel? 100%. And I would say, while I represent behavioral science here and sharing these insights from behavioral science, I also represent myself, right? I was that person who wanted to be productive and then went on YouTube. And going back to what I mentioned before, my solution initially was to add a blocker, to add a YouTube blocker. So they're like, okay, if I wanted to be productive, it's suddenly harder for me to get to YouTube. But do you know what? I found something else. I found Instagram or I found LinkedIn. Right? I found some other way for me to, to kind of get away from my productive task. And so this was, you know, in the end, the only way that I was able to do, you know, significant changes to my productivity was actually realizing that if I don't really go to the core here of like what is actually triggering me internally to wanting to lead this productive task, you talked about underlying beliefs. Like, is, is there some underlying belief here? Is there some form of emotion that I have a hard time dealing with? You know, w- without actually solving for that, I'm just going to be jumping from the next to the next to the next uh, distraction, you know, and, and it's not going to really solve the underlying uh, issue. So 100%. That's great. Hey, guys, I want to remind you to check out CF Capital. CF Capital is the premier boutique real estate investment firm in the Midwest and Southeast region of the United States. We are a national real estate investment firm with a purpose. We provide property investment and asset management solutions to help passive investors maximize returns on high value multifamily communities. But our investments go far beyond acquisitions. We invest in people. We are in the business of elevating communities and raising the bar for everyone within our ecosystem. CF Capital is a real estate investment firm focused on the acquisition and operation of multifamily assets. We confidently deliver tax advantage, stable cash flow, and capital appreciation with a margin of safety. By investing alongside our team, investors can preserve and grow their wealth without having to deal with tenants, termites, or toilets. Investors come and stay for the outsized returns we create in our deals while appreciating the ancillary opportunity to make a bigger impact that only CF Capital can provide. If you're an investor and want to invest with us, here's how. Learn more about CF Capital at cfcapllc.com or by simply clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. We will see you on the inside of this powerful community. So let's elevate communities together. One of the things that you said earlier too was, and I wanted to go back to was bringing the, it's a journey from thoughtful to thoughtless. And I love that. I mean, it's something that I've not heard before, but it makes so much sense. And really that's what we're talking about. And, And that's why habits are so powerful is because we can find ourselves transforming without so much more thought and so much more effort and so much more energy. And that's really the purpose of habits at the end of the day. I mean, if you think about it, when you sit in a car, as you mentioned, and you put in, you know, you put in your seatbelt and you, you know, put the car in reverse and you go down the driveway or you do whatever and you're taking the path to your office or wherever you're going on a daily basis. A lot of that is second nature and it's thoughtless. And because of that, now we have energy to take on the more important issues of the day. And so could you talk a little bit more about the power of that and really how to engage in the thoughtful to thoughtless journey uh, more effectively? Yeah, for sure. And, And given where we're coming from, it's useful to say that we've done the opposite now. Right? Like we've talked about the opposite, going from thoughtless to thoughtful can also be very valuable because you talked about this idea of you know having maybe some bad habits or distractions and being more thoughtful initially and kind of resetting them and then going 
towards the process again. But yeah, so I don't know if I had a perfect definition initially, but to summarize again, habit is a behavior done automatically with not much conscious thought in a specific context based on a specific, uh, usually we call it either trigger antecedent or, or, or some form of thing that triggers this in the specific context. And so knowing that, that a behavior only becomes a habit if it's tied to a specific context, that is a huge unlock because then we have to realize that we have to, if we want to be maximizing our chance of success, we should tie our the behavior we want to do to context in the form of place, time, or um, I would say you can either think about this as like past behaviors, kind of like thinking it as a sequence, you know, what did you do before this as a context as well? But generally, those are the three things you would think about. So as, a, as an example, do you, have a, do you want to throw out a behavior that you, we could use as kind of a template here or a case study for? Yeah. Um, so I think about like for investors, maybe a, a behavior that they would like to install in their daily actions or, or, you know, at least part of their weekly plan would be perhaps doing a bit of outreach and some cold calling. Maybe that could be a behavior that, you know, would be a valuable piece to, to sort of look at here for this example. Yeah. And it's perfect because it's probably going to be a lot of those internal emotions as well that you should be aware of that could you know, lead to some barriers here. But yeah, so if you're talk, thinking about that, yeah, okay. The behavior is to sit down for, let's say, I don't know, 30 minutes a day. Is that perfect? Enough? I think 30 minutes is great. Yeah. Um, usually that's what we will say. I'm going to spend every day to call call for 30 minutes. If they're a little bit more organized, they're putting a time in the calendar and say, I'm going to do it at 12 or at nine or whatever. Um, that solves for one context element, which is time. But what you can do even more so is starting to be a little more of a ritual around this. So you're actually wanting to maybe add also the place. So you're thinking about, I'm going to do cold calling from this place that I feel confident and secure, which could be your couch, could be, <laughs> I don't know where it could be for you, but in the past, your desk, you know, whatever, whatever it is, coffee table, whatever it is. You're really thinking about like, which maybe place should I really want to associate with cold calling? And maybe also which place do I don't want to associate with cold calling? Is there some place that I want to kind of like protect from that? If, if we think about our home, working from home as well, you know, maybe we don't want to do it from the couch because then we sit on the couch, we think about cold calling all the time. So it could also be thought, thinking about in, in that regard. And then lastly, thinking about, okay, which is the behavior I'm going to do before this, maybe even after this as well. And if we're combining that time, place, and prior and post behavior, we're starting to see how this ritual could fall into place, where we could design to say that, okay, every morning after I've made my morning coffee, I'm going to sit down at 8.45 or 8.30 at my desk, and I'm going to do cold calling for 15 minutes. There's still a lot of things we can do from a behavioral standpoint, behavioral science standpoint to make that even more kind of motivating or increase the drive for doing that. But just doing that part, honestly, is where people can 2x or 3x their chances of actually building habits. Because at least then you've covered the basic components of habits. You know that you're going to teach your brain that every morning, once I have my coffee, you're going to more and more so like naturally just be like, okay, getting into the mindset of doing the cold calling. So that's going to start setting by itself coming, you know, week by week, it's going to become stronger and stronger. So if you leave it to yourself to be like, okay, I'm going to do it some point out during the day. Well, hopefully you should learn by this point that you probably done shooting yourself in the foot because you're then pretty much saying, I'm not going to do this today. 
Man, I love that you continue to go back to that context piece, because I think that is a huge distinction, a huge takeaway. If you want to install a new habit, it comes down to where place, time, what you were doing before and understanding and being intentional, being thoughtful to then get to a point where it becomes thoughtless. And you then put things on autopilot. You then put your transformation on autopilot, which I think is is so valuable. Is it important and valuable to take inventory of habits? You were talking about, obviously, values, hierarchy and, and self-awareness and that kind of stuff. Would it be helpful for listeners to really take a step back and say, all right, well, what have I been engaging in on a daily basis and what are my habits? Is that helpful as well? Yeah. So, so one exercise we do within our Habit Coach Pro training, we do certification for people that want to become Habit Coach professionals. We actually give them a version of this kind of tool and exercise where it's really useful for both in that case coaches, but also obviously the people they are coaching, in this case, anyone, you know, to start to become curious about what are the habits that I'm currently having already. Because if we're not, you know, learning from them, we have a huge loss in potential wisdom we can gain. Because it's so tempting to be looking at, okay, again, what is these people doing on Instagram? What is these other people doing? What are their habits? Great. Fantastic. But maybe the biggest unlock is understanding what have been successful for you in the past. Like, which actually good habits do you have? And why? Like, why did you build those good habits? Conversely, what are the bad habits? Could you start to kind of starting to, based on some of these things we covered, break them down a little bit more to understand, okay, what seems to be happening before I do this bad habit? What is happening around me? External triggers. What is happening inside me? Internal triggers. Where and when do I usually do this? Is there a certain context component to this? And what is happening afterwards? You know, how do I feel afterwards? And... If there was ever like the, call it like the mother of all self-awareness exercises, I feel like this could be potentially, you know, fighting for that top spot because it really takes a lot of boxes. You're really engaging with a lot of levels of your day-to-day experience. And you're kind of starting to not only learn about yourself, but also then see how you're kind of going back to what I mentioned before, how you're adding like a lens to your life. You start to see the thing you already do with this habit behavioral science lens. And so then when you're, starting to kind of shift those things, you can then actually see them as components and you can be like, oh, it all makes sense. Like I have been struggling with this habit because I never had a good trigger. Like I, I like, or I've been struggling to break this habit because I never dealt with this internal trigger that is really important to me or this specific reward that I don't get from anything else. So yeah. Samuel, this is so good, man. I just, I, I really appreciate your perspective. I appreciate your expertise and and thank you for sharing this. Before I transition us into the rapid fire section of the podcast, I, I have to ask you this question. It may fall flat, but of course our listeners are investors and they're looking to elevate their performance. So there's many things that go into that in terms of those habits. But if you were to say the highest ROI habits that people can focus on, what do you think those are? I mean, again, this, this question may fall flat and when I say ROI, obviously I'm referring to return on investment and that may be financial, but it also may lead to higher levels of performance, higher levels of focus, improved communication, improved thinking. I mean, are there any habits that you believe are sort of cornerstones and maybe the, that give us sort of the highest ROI that we could focus on? And I'll caveat that by saying, well, so, you know, we've got to think about our values as well as we were talking about earlier, right? Yes, yeah, so I think there's certainly some truth in that if you look at things like sleep, exercise, eating, and, and so on. Like there's, wherever you go there, you're probably going in the right space. Because oftentimes what happens with some of these like fundamental health habits, for example, is that if 
because I want to flip this a little bit to what I mentioned before. I guess it depends on where your barriers lie, like or where you're feeling like you're kind of short selling yourself. Like, do you think that, like, are you getting enough sleep and recovery? If if so, fantastic. If not, maybe that's the one to focus on. Same thing with diet, nutrition. Same thing with movement, exercise, and and same thing with probably like something like social bonding and social connection. So I will kind of start there to be like, okay, where where am I deficient? Maybe that that's probably the best way to start. But the good news there is that let's say you you have deficiency across the board. Let's just say you, we've all been there where you feel like you're like life is just hard. <laughs> And let's say we start with sleep. The good news is that if you're starting with sleep and you're expanding your sleep quality and recovery time, good chances are that you're going to be more likely to be focused and productive, more likely to have the energy to exercise, more likely have the capacity to hang out with friends or meet people or those things. And so, you know, wherever we go there with some of those key fundamental stuff, I think the good news is that they have positive overflowing effects. So going back to what I mentioned as well, another good argument for just focusing on one, like why try to do everything at the same time? Like just knowing that you're going to optimize one, you know that it's going to be this positive flow on effect. Not sure if I gave you the best answer or what you were looking for, but that's kind of where I would go with that. Well, it's it's the perfect answer. And it's exactly what I was looking for. And I think it just is a good reminder to say, look, if, if there we have a lot to change in our life, you know, we're not going to climb that mountain in one day. And so start small and start simply and allow yourself to build momentum and recognize that if we don't do that, we're just going to end up where we started. And so I just think that there's a lot of value in what you shared today. Samuel, I want to transition into the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the rare air questionnaire. It is all about being uncommon. And you know, I think a lot of what we talked about today is that we can turn our common day into an uncommon day by starting small and by understanding the science behind our behavior and our habits. So thank you for all of this. This is so great. If you were to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? First comes to mind is Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. So it's a great book because it covers this thing called cognitive dissonance and self-justification. And so this is something we all are extremely guilty of like we we feel kind of dissonance between two things and then we solve for it but create maybe some internal lies and and so it's really really good book in terms of both covering valuable research but also highlighting a really valuable topic second book i would say i feel like hypocrite if i wouldn't say good habits bad habits by wendy wood you know wendy wood she's the the legend in the field of habit research so if you just want to you know, get the best research in a book, that's the go-to, go-to book. Then maybe as the third book, I would say, I'm thinking about a good sci-fi book because I love, love reading sci-fi. Maybe, you know, dark matter, you know, if you wanted to build a good book reading habit, the best thing you can do is just find good books. So you kind of like make it fun to read, right? That's a heck of a good book. Like it's hard to not enjoy that. So dark matter by Blake Crouch. Uh, that's a fun read. That's great. Yeah. And I've been saying this for years and every single time I read fiction, I enjoy it so much more than I would have thought. And it's funny because I have to convince myself that I should be reading fiction. But when I read fiction, especially books like Dark Matter, which I've not read and I will check out, it's funny. It's like it reinforces, hey, go have some fun and go learn and, and explore some creative thinking through science fiction as well. I love that. That's awesome. What's the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, Samuel? So. I would say a huge thing is this small, small detail in my email signature, which is that in my email, email signature, I'll say that something to the effect of 
don't expect me to answer your emails before 12 p.m. or on Fridays. And I'll be doing deep work sessions between 10 and 12 and 2 to 4. So don't expect me to schedule meetings during this time as well. I won't receive anything, including smoke signals, something to that effect. And that has really been really blessing in two ways. It communicates my priorities of like doing deep work at certain times of day since people know not to bug me. But also, I kind of create accountability for myself to really keep those hours of the day sacred to the work that is most valuable for me and most important. So, and surprise, surprise, obviously like I thought about, okay, when do I feel at best? Like when do I feel the most clear in mind, productive and, you know, energetic? That should be the time I do the most important work, right? So that's where I have my like 90 to 120 minutes like deep work sessions. And so if you want to know like what I do is I do about 90 to 120 minute deep work session, which consists of about 30 minute kind of incremental session of Pomodoro. So I do 30 minutes, walk for five minutes, 30 minutes, grab a coffee, 30 minutes. And then once I feel like I've emptied enough, then I take a longer break. Save the kind of the stuff like emails, less important meetings to the afternoon, for example. What a fantastic share. I mean, no one over the past 300 episodes has shared anything like that. So I love that share. And it's something that we can all implement immediately if it's something that resonates with us. You know, that that accountability factor and the communication factor of saying, look, hey, here's when I'm focused. Here's when I'm not responding. I love that. And I think people appreciate that as well. When you give that direction, people tend to obey it. I mean, there's certainly some who kind of step out of bounds, but ultimately it is what it is. That's on them. Uh, so thank you for that share. I love that elevation of your own life on a daily basis. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Samuel? Yeah, so this is something I actually think a lot about because it can sometimes feel hard to set the expectation of like what is enough to give to other people and so on. Um, so I would say the biggest thing that I've done probably is before I try to be the person that reaches out to everyone that I have on my friends list on Facebook, whatever. Uh, but maybe five years ago, I took a shift to let go from that and have a much smaller list and focusing on kind of that smaller list of people that really matters and making sure that I feel like I'm kind of in touch with them and, you know, connecting with them on a regular basis. So I don't feel that thing like, because I feel like the hardest thing for me is when I have someone that I really care about. And then you come to this time of the year where you're like, realize like you see in your, your your message chat like the last time i spoke to them was last time was in the new year but i really care about this person and i want to be there for that person but clearly i'm i'm not and so i think just kind of shrinking that list of people to the people that matters more and i think for me it's just expectations to, to them of course i can be nice to everyone else as well but like i really want to serve those people and so that's that's the biggest one Man, what a pattern uh, that correlates with kind of starting small, but also, you know, sort of, I guess, lowering that barrier across the board for us and lowering the barrier of staying in touch with others and serving others. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that, Samuel. I want to acknowledge you for, you know, living in your passion and really sharing your expertise and continuing to dive deeper into behavioral science, behavioral economics, which, by the way, we didn't really touch on enough today. And, and I'll look forward to our next conversation. We'll talk more about behavioral economics and perhaps implementing behavioral design within your investing, within your business. And so we'll talk more about that. I'm glad that we were able to focus on, you know, that personal interaction with 
habits and your own behavior, because I think that's a catalyst to take things to the next level. So Samuel, I just wanted to acknowledge you. I just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate you. Do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? Yeah, so thanks for those kind words. I would say it's the last thing tying into what you said and really bringing something home here. It's not about starting small that I wouldn't really emphasize, but more so make it easy to feel successful. And so going back to my example just before then, it makes it much easier for me to feel good about myself when I know that I have covered like the most important people in my life. I kind of then feel like I have this basis of, okay, I am a good friend or I'm a good, you know, relative or partner, for example. And so I think that really transcends much of what we do if we want to be successful. You know, when we set a little bit smaller goals for ourselves, but something that we can do, do in a, even on a, on a bad day, what that means is that we set the minimum viable dose. We can always do more, but at least we've done something. And I think that makes for a huge difference than if we set like really high goals and that we rarely achieve. The lesson to ourselves is that I suck. Like I can never reach my goals. But if we had smaller goals that we actually find time to overachieve, do more. Like we, we do cold calling for five minutes, 10 minutes. But actually after having got started, we're like, hey, I'm going to do 20 minutes more. Then we feel amazing. But if we set the goal of like saying, I'm going to do it for 45 minutes, but then only doing for 30 minutes, suddenly we feel like a failure. So setting ourselves up as feeling successful shouldn't be a bad thing. Like it's a good thing that we're finding ways to use that as a motivational kind of loop in a way, like a, a momentum drive to, to do better and do more. But it's okay to keep it small, keep it simple, and then build on that as we go. Samuel, that's a great share and a great bookend for our conversation today. It goes back to that feeling and, you know, giving ourselves the opportunity of feeling successful, putting ourselves in a position where it's easier to feel successful. What a great catalyst. And Samuel, what an amazing conversation. I just want to thank you again. Tell the listeners where they can find you and learn more about what you do. Yeah, LinkedIn is the best place usually. If you want to connect with me, that's where I share a lot of uh, general things as well. Um, I also have a newsletter for anyone specifically into behavioral design or behavioral science called Habit Weekly, which is the leading newsletter for people who are actively wanting to become behavioral designers or applied behavioral practitioners. So habitweekly.com, my website, samuelsalsa.com. But yeah, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I always love to connect with people and, and share, share good stuff. Absolutely. We'll put links in the show notes is where the listeners can find you uh, across all of those platforms. But Samuel, until next time, my friend, thanks again for being on Elevate. Really nice to be here. Take care. Talk to you soon. Elevate Nation, what a great conversation with Samuel Salzer. I just hope that you recognize how valuable what he shared today can be for you. And I also hope you recognize that there are so many different components of a habit that can turn into thoughtless transformation. And so what I would love for you to do is to identify your top one, two, or three distinctions. They could be the entire part of the process around behavioral science. They could be around the science of habits. Uh, they could be al along the lines of, well, maybe it's about you understanding your values, what's most important to you. Maybe it's about starting small. And hey, maybe it's about what can I do to have a easier way of feeling successful 
in whatever habit or whatever behavior I'm looking to install in my life. Those are just a few examples. I want to encourage you to identify your top one, two, or three distinctions or takeaways from this episode and share those with a friend. Have a discussion with someone else and share with them what is it that you are looking to accomplish? What is it that you are looking to create in your life? Maybe there's a habit that you want to remove, or maybe there's a habit that you want to replace. Maybe there's a habit that you want to create to elevate your own performance, to elevate your own thinking, to elevate the way that you evaluate opportunities, to evaluate deals, to build your team, to negotiate, or just your energy level and your focus. I mean, there's so many different components and there are dominoes that we can knock over in our life. And a lot of what we talked about today was, you know, it came down to health, it came down to fitness, but a lot of that stuff translates into higher outcome and improved results in business. So I hope that you recognize that. I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show because repetition is the mother of all skill. We talked about that actually in this episode when it comes to creating habits is repetition is powerful. But if you want to learn this stuff, you've got to listen twice because you're going to learn twice as much. I also want to encourage you to pay the fee again. I asked you to do that earlier in this episode. Please pay it forward. Share this episode with someone else. And until next time, Elevate Nation, I just want to thank you so much for tuning in. And by the way, take massive action. Until next time, Elevate Nation, we'll see you then. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.